Hello, everybody. It's Phil the Issues Guy with this week's Issues program. And, you know, usually people that know me know I hate the cold, but I just thought of a really positive benefit for the cold. I recently got a dog, and some of you some of you know this, and I hesitated getting a dog for years, mainly because of the fact of I don't like picking up poo. I think it's warm, it's gross, it's disgusting, and it's just one of those things that I miss the days of the 80s when little kids would step in dog poo because no one cleaned up their poo <laughs> before it was a thing, before you got fined and shit for not cleaning up your dog shit. But since not having a dog for years, I've come to the realization that I'm starting to not mind the winter that much because if your dog shits on the ground and you wait a second, <laughs> and you wait a few minutes, or even wait the evening and go back out the next morning, the poo is completely frozen. It's frozen poo. And that that makes all the difference. That makes the whole situation much, much better. I mean, that's maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that likes picking up frozen poo. But to me, it makes the whole situation that much better. So welcome to this week's show. As I said, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We're just going to get on and going. The first thing I wanted to talk about is something that I've heard about for a while, and I think we talked about on the Issues program a few months back, but something called Project M. What Project M is, it's an ambitious mod for the Wii's Super Smash Bros. Brawl, aimed at bringing brawl the same competitive vibe that Melee had, and in some cases bringing back some aspects of Smash 64. I, of course, am in a minority in some ways, thinking that Smash 64 is the end-all be-all of Smash Brothers games, but I know most people think that it's Melee, and that fighting style, that the speed, the wave dishing, things like that, that that was competitive that creates such a competitive environment for the game of melee to me as i said the most competitive vibe i get from smash brothers is from smash 64 but that's partly for personal reasons because of my personal group of friends that when we all got were probably as a group the most into video games smash brothers was the apex of that and to the point that we still get together on a monthly basis to get to all play the Nintendo 64 and the an actual Nintendo 64 and play Smash Brothers. I've tried to include newer games into the equation and occasionally we'll, we'll tread on something that people enjoy playing, but we all, I created a game night and I created it to play lots of different games and be able to play certain video games, especially with a Wii or a Wii U, that you can't play online with people and they're better as local gameplay with your friends. So I wanted to bring together a game night where I brought a lot of my friends together. And not, I mean, most of us are still into video games, especially my friend Opie, who might be swinging by here in a second. You might hear his voice coming in here in the middle of the podcast. He's shy, so he doesn't like to talk all the time. But it, it, but we all play video games, but with the invent of online gaming and the focus more on single-player experiences, we haven't quite kept up with the gaming that we, that we used to play on probably a multiple times a week basis. So I felt like I wanted to bring that back some, in some ways. So I put together a game night, and we continue to play the original Smash Brothers. Now, 
Now, this this mod, which is really easy to use, you just put it on a little HD card, and you put you need like two two gigs of memory on the HD card, and you download the program onto that onto that and drag and drop and stuff like that, and then you just pop it right into your Wii or your Wii U and delete any of the custom saved levels that you have on Brawl. And uh, even if you haven't created any, go to the save file and, and eliminate the the pre-made ones that the computer makes for you. And at this point, you don't even need, if you want to go out and buy a new copy of Brawl like I did, you don't need to unlock any of the characters. This will unlock all the characters, plus adding some characters from Melee that aren't in Brawl, like Mewtwo and Roy, or two of, the, two of which. Now, this has been around for a while, as I said, but this is the 3.0 release, and this is the first one that that Project M crew is kind of being proud of, is is describing as, as close to possible as the finished product as they could get. Uh, they still say they have a couple tweaks. It doesn't work quite as well. Multiplayer, it freezes up a little bit. Or in some cases, when you change costumes or you do a couple of other features, it can freeze up the game. But it is, if you're into the style of melee and you felt like Brawl didn't quite feel feel right to you, it felt a little slower, it felt a little bit more, some of the characters that were strong in the last game were kind of shitty in that one. It, I, I personally, if I had to rank the Smash Brothers, and it's tough because it's like if you're taking a great television show, the worst episode of Breaking Bad is better than the best episode of the blacklist or something and i i'm not casting dispersions on anyone that likes the blacklist but i you know i can't take james spader seriously as an actor he's just ridiculous come on he's just that horrible 80s supervillain and i know he's playing kind of a supervillain in this but still i just can't take his stupid ass seriously with his bald hannibal lecter looks just want to fucking Slap him across the face with something. Yeah, yeah, I swear a lot. I'm sorry. I've been trying to cut back on the swearing, but no, does it mean I... It means I have no creative ideas. That's really what it means. By by the fact that I can't not use an occasional F-bomb, an occasional S-something... I know it's an F-bomb. Do S's have have a shit-bomb? Can you, can you say someone has a shit-bomb? Hmm. But yes, so if you want to go check out Project M, it it means to solve all these problems that anybody had with Brawl and make Brawl a lot more like Melee, and as I said, in some cases, a little bit more like 64, like 64, like the original Smash Brothers. They had, I was looking at some of the character changes, and in certain physics of certain characters that they felt like worked better in 64, they brought that back. Uh, one example is Ness. They brought, they contend they brought back Nintendo 64 NES, who, and I think in some ways, if you master NES, it's, I know the tiers say that, uh, what is it, what is it, Pikachu and Fox are the top tiers in the original Smash Brothers, but to me, if you can get good at NES, that NES throw is just devastating in that game. It just throws some, someone further Further, father. Yeah. I'm always bad with the further. I think it was right the first time. <laughs> There's also an addition of something called a turbo mode, which is... I haven't checked it out yet, so I can't really report on it. <laughs> uh, 
but it apparently has a little bit more like chain attack. It makes the game feel probably a little bit more Street Fighter-ish from what I was reading about it. So we'll see about that. Um, if you haven't listened already to the most recent Couch Masters podcast with me and John C. Riley, please do that. Check out couchmasters.com or the SoundCloud Couch Masters page or add us on Facebook or that sort of thing. I talk a lot more about the VGX Awards and what I didn't like about the setup of it. But I do feel like I have to talk about one one specific thing that came out of the show that I'm really happy for, I, I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but only in passing, got a lot more details, and this is confirmed now. Telltale Games, the people who just did, well, they've worked on the King's Quest games years ago, and they've been around forever, and been one of the most consistent game companies just making games. They haven't always been great, <laughs> but starting, I think, I will speculate, I mean, there's certain games that were really great that they came over throughout time, but I'd say starting with the Back to the Future game, they've really launched in a more, hmm, a more complete direction. I don't think, I don't think the Back to the Future game is perfect, but I can see the direction that they were leaning towards to go to the Walking Dead game, which I think is brilliant. And, and uh, season two of the Walking Dead game, I can't wait to check that out, I haven't yet. But now they've announced that they're going to be doing a episodic take on the Game of Thrones. It'll be a multi-year, multi-title partnership, similar to the, the Walking Dead version. And the series was announced at the 2013 Spike VGX Awards last weekend, with Telltale saying it will take advantage of, the series of all the series fiction for the upcoming video game adaptation. Specific platforms are not yet announced for the title, which will begin to release in 2014. Alongside Game of Thrones, Telltale is also working on the second season of The Walking Dead, A Wolf Among Us, from the Tales of Borderlands. So I think this is really exciting that, that, this, walking, that this Walking Dead team, that this Telltale team is getting to getting to work on more projects. And I think something like the Game of Thrones is perfect for that style of uh, storytelling in video games, where you don't necessarily get bogged down by all the action that you are doing and can get really caught up in the real-time events and the emotional aspects of what's going on on screen. Because I think video games, as much as any medium, can be as emotional as they can be exciting and and hitting all your hitting all your peaky turkey your happy bones i want to smoke a happy bone <laughs> i'm in that kind of mood so also nintendo's latest 3ds update unifies the 3d shop the 3ds shop with the wii u nintendo id shop so basically what this does is it just lets you do meverse on your on your 3ds and it lets you have one universal nintendo account I think this is a good idea, generally speaking. They're trying to combine their fan bases. Because I really do believe, I was talking to somebody else about this off-show, uh, I really do believe that Nintendo's next venture is going to be to try to merge those two audiences together. I don't think, a lot of people, oh, the Wii U's a failure, Nintendo's going to put out a new system by 2015. I actually read an article where someone said that. No, the Wii U's here to stay for a while, and we're going to get a, a handful of great games that come out for it, and I, I'm really happy I've got the system. And and if we can get a little bit more attention added, and a little bit more, little a little bit more sales on it from first-party Nintendo titles, certain companies will be more apt to make third-party titles on it. 
like in the case of the DLC for Injustice Gods Amongst Us, uh, Warner Brothers says that they would love to release the DLC. They just need to know that it's worth it to do it. So I think a lot of third-party companies will put out these games on Wii U. They just need to know that they're going to get return on their investment. They don't want to stick their dicks out in the wind. It's a different age now, and people... I mean, it's a different age, but again, it goes back to the the Nintendo Wii U might face the same... The same... I, I threat to say disaster, but the same fate that the GameCube did. The GameCube had a lot of really amazing first-party title games, but it never quite adopted the third party just because it didn't have the universal success. I mean, the GameCube eventually became kind of a kiddie system, and I don't think the Wii U will ever do that. I think it will embrace the kiddie audience, but I think it's... They just need to stay true to themselves and keep a couple of really good companies under their belt that they put out great games for, like with Bayonetta 2 coming out from Platinum Games. I I think that, because uh, everyone's like, oh, I, I was reading this article where a lot of people were complaining that they really wanted Bayonetta 2 to be a multi-platform release. And basically, the company's saying, no, screw you. You need to buy a Wii U to play this game. Oh, I don't want to buy a Wii U. There's no games. Well, wait a second. How can you say that you want, and all these same people are saying that, oh, fuck the Wii U, there's no games for it, blah, 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 blah. Most of these same people are the same people that are saying, well, Nintendo should license out their games to other systems because I'd love to be able to play Mario on, on uh, Steam or I'd love to be able to play Mario on my iPhone and I want to play Mario on my PlayStation 2 or my Xbox 360. Nintendo, or three, Xbox One or my, or my... <laughs> Or PlayStation 4. I want to play it on those systems. Nintendo should license out their material. It, you're cutting your ass off there. If Nintendo doesn't have any games and it's not worth it to buy the system, why do you want to play the games and why do you want the games on the systems you own now? You basically just want Nintendo to fail. And all these press companies and all these people that write articles and stuff, not the video game journalists. I'm talking about the main, these big, big companies that are writing that that don't know much about video games, that just saw it in the wind, and were like, oh, Nintendo's gonna fail. Nintendo's dying. <laughs> they have a vested interest now in Nintendo failing, in this system failing. So they just keep perpetuating it. And people, all the haters, that automatically sort of get into this whole console war battle thing, feel like they have to cast dispersions on Nintendo like that. And I feel like it's getting carried away to the point where now there's games on the system that people want to play, and all these people are like, I want to play these games. I wish these games were on these other systems. Wii U sucks. There's no games. You're they, it's your double-edged sword there. I don't think Nintendo's perfect. A lot of people call me a fanboy, whatever. I don't think Nintendo's perfect, and I think they make a lot of mistakes. But I also think that they are on their own path. In some ways, they are trying to compete with the other two, but in a lot of ways, they aren't. And they they haven't really been in a competitive mode until the Nintendo 64. I think Nintendo's biggest failure isn't in the hardware or in the lack of software that seems to be catching up to itself right now. I think the biggest problem, and I've said it many times in the show, is promotion and press, how the, and advertisement, how they've decided to market this system. Right from the naming of it, it never should have been named the Wii U. The Wii line should have died with the Wii. And, or if you want to make a sequel to the Wii, you make a Wii 2 that's a little bit, that's a high-definition Wii. That's it. It's just basically a high-definition Wii. Same, same level, something like a Fisher-Price first system type, type thing that you can get kids, similar to what the 2DS is. You do that, and you have the Wii U as the adult system, and you market it that way. 
You market it as a unique way to play games and all that sort of stuff, and you have a completely different name. Maybe you call it the U. I don't know, anything. I just think by calling it the Wii U, you have too many unfortunate associations. Even in those commercials you see on Hula or everything that are pretty good commercials, mm. kids refer to the Wii U as an upgrade for the Wii. It's not an upgrade for the Wii. It's its own unique system. And Nintendo has never made that clear. They've never gone out of their way to put to to make it obvious that the Wii U is its own separate entity. And I think that is the biggest failure they've had. Not in having a system that's not quite the graphic processing level of, of the other two. Ooh, big deal. Personally, I mean, I think the next-gen graphics or this-gen graphics from last-gen, it's a good jump, but it's not an amazing, ridiculous jump. And Nintendo Wii U, to me, in my visual, visual aspects, when I look at certain games that they have, especially in the cartoon atmosphere and they can do, play with cell shading, they have really great designers that can do the best with what they have. To me, as of right now, New Super Mario Brothers. uh Super Mario Brothers World 3D and Pikmin th Pikmin 3 look to me visually better than most of the titles I see coming out for the PS4 and the Xbox One. Just at this point right now. I'm not saying it obvious the Wii U obviously doesn't have the graphical power that the other two have, but I don't know. There's something about the I guess I just love that cartoon style. I love that that earthy human, not human, lack of realism, the magical style when I play video games. Not that I don't like realism in video games, too. I think Arkham City looks beautiful in on uh, the Wii U. And I and I played it on the, uh, not Arkham City, but Arkham City looks beautiful as well. Um, Arkham Origins. I just think that Nintendo has very much, very, very, very much has failed in the, has failed in the marketing department. And I think that honestly, as I said, is the biggest failure for them. Speaking of failure, a lot of people are hearing about this YouTube thing. YouTube has decided to put the clamps on. It's, it's unclear whether this YouTube marrying with Google thing has just been a nightmare from the start. We talked a little bit on the Issues program with John, and I believe we talked a little bit about it on the Couch Masters podcast as well, about how it's just, it's really unfortunate that that Google has married themselves with, uh, or they own it, but the, the marrying of Google Plus with with YouTube and needing to create Google Plus's account to be able to comment and all the integration has just been a big pain in the fucking balls. And and that's or the ovaries, depending on what you have. And it's gone a step further. A few months back, there was a lot of copyright claim problems with video games and let's players with uh, YouTube. YouTube is very ironclad about these copyright things. It's not just... Right now, it's getting a little bit more attention because video games are in the mainstream and stuff. But a, a few... I want to say a, a couple months, a year ago or so, a lot of my favorite YouTubers, uh, people like uh, Nostalgia Critic and and uh, Confused Matthew, Angry Video Game Nerd, people like that. And the nerds since come back. But they all had to leave YouTube and they kind of went to Blip TV because of YouTube's problems with copyright shit. And now it's infiltrated into the video game situation. 
And a lot of this isn't necessarily coming from the companies. It's coming from YouTube itself, and the companies also are wanting a cut. Some companies aren't. Ubisoft, Blizzard, Capcom have stated they want to help YouTubers affected by the recent copyright claim spree. But it seems like, and this is, Nintendo won't. And a lot of the other video game companies, as I said, are being very, very, uh, very supportive of this. Like Ubisoft said something like steps one right now, leave the video up for now, send us the URL of your affected video and let us know who flagged it and we'll hopefully get it cleared up. Now, uh, they are the, this is just a really horrible situation because it's, it's affecting a lot of people's careers that are, that, that make a living off Let's Plays. And I mean, the solution here is obviously going to be be giving the video game companies a percent of the advertisement, and they need to work out that deal with YouTube so that they can get the content there. But most likely, it's not going to go in that direction. Most likely, this is symbolizing close to the end of Let's Plays as we know it on YouTube. And in the same way that you can't watch, have complete reviews, you couldn't do something like a Mystery Science Theater thing where you watched a movie and had the movie there while you talked about it on YouTube because of copyright infringement or use someone else's song for more than a certain amount of time or something like that, whatever, whatever the rules are. And I got to say, as much as I am a Nintendo fan, I really am, Nintendo's really dropping the ball in this one. And it's not, from my, from my research, it's not so much Nintendo USA that has a problem with this. It's really Nintendo Japan that doesn't want Nintendo games used for competitive purposes. They have a big problem with the whole Smash Brothers tournament scene and all that. They have a big problem with Let's Players. They've always had somewhat of a problem with Let's Players playing their games and displaying it like that. I think... And Nintendo USA sort of settled all those claims and, and said, we have an open, warm... Uh, warm policy about that. But Nintendo Japan has used this, I think, as another excuse to jump back on this. And Nintendo hasn't come out and and dissuaded any of this. In fact, they've kind of added flames to, added the gasoline to the fire a little bit when it comes down to it. And going back to what I was saying about PR and advertisement, this is just another excuse for people to pile on the Nintendo hate. You guys are making mistakes here. You guys are making a lot of mistakes here. Hi, sorry I stopped mid-sentence there. My doorbell rang. And if you haven't noticed by now when you're listening to this podcast, this is not a live show. <laughs> and I might play this live, sorry, I'm out of breath running up and down the stairs carrying up a box. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so out of shape. I need to work out. Mm. Thank God a video game came in the mail, because that will get me working out. <laughs> but yes, my doorbell rang, and this is pre-recorded. I might play this live at some point, play it on Ustream later tonight once I have it all pre-recorded, to simulate a live show. So if you're listening this far into the show, if you've listened to this 20-minute rant at the beginning of the show, now you get the secret. Mwahahaha. I am not live. I may be monitoring your calls, or reading the chat room. And responding to you. But technically, I'm not live. I'm a ghost. I'm a dead person. Dead person on the can. So yeah, Nintendo's really making a big mistake. Because they could they could completely push the fact that, oh, Nintendo games are so fun to play. You want to share with everybody. You want to share your epic battle of Mario Strikers for the Wii. You want to 
oh, let's let's watch this. There's nothing like there's it's more fun watching Mario Kart than it is watching indie racing. You know, just just have like like support it. Have do promotions where you have Reggie showing up at people's houses that are doing Let's Plays of Nintendo games or something like that and sitting in on Let's Plays. Things like I think if Nintendo did that sort of stuff, they would appear to get it more and and a lot of people that's their problem with Nintendo. To me, I don't give a shit about this if the games are fun because if I really like something or if it's like if I enjoy a show in the first couple of seasons, I'll stick through it through the crappy four and, season 4 and 5 to hopefully get in the last season a couple of good episodes. <laughs> I think Scrubs is a good example of that. A show that started out so brilliant and was so funny for so long. And then in a bit there had a couple seasons that were just complete trash. And then I think the second to last season or the last season before the, that horrible spinoff series thing, I think was the best one of the best seasons, if not the best one. So I like to kind of sift through some crap. And, and if someone makes something I really, really enjoy, I will go out of my way to support that and listen to it and enjoy it. And even because I know everyone lays a turd sometimes. No matter, if you're a creative individual, not everything you do is going to be perfect 24-7. I've written thousands of songs in my life and I would bet that I'm lucky if 50% of them are good (laughs) you know what I mean I've made tons of videos I've done lots of edits I hope every one of those edits good I've I've acted I've been in plays I've had god lots of performances when you do multiple dates of plays and you think every one of my performances were good I don't think so most of them were Okay, for what I do, or at the peak of my ability, whatever that is, if that's good or bad. And I've said, I may have repeat, be repeating myself. Do you think every one of these shows I've ever done is good? Of course it is. But that's beside the point. No, no, no. I specifically, re- specifically remember, I was really, really sick, by the way. That's why there was no show for the last two weeks. Hi, everyone. This is the Issues Program. Call or text in 781-990-8509. The last two weeks, I was really sick. And the last time I was that sick was when I was back on uh, WMWM radio, and I would say it was in the last half of when I was doing shows there. It was probably like my fifth to last show or something like that, and and it was after this, I took a break. I was like off the air for a month, and then I came back and did like four more shows, and then, and then ended off, but I, I went in there, and I was not feeling too well when I was originally sitting down and uh, Stephanie was supposed to come and pick me up at the end of the night and we're going to go back to her place for dinner. And I just sat in there and, and just as I was talking, I started to get sicker and sicker by the end where like where my head was literally on the, the mixing board with the microphone down close to my head. And I was talking like this. Now that was, and I was literally delusional and saying the most ridiculous things. And I know a lot of people listen, or to the people that listen to my show, a lot of you is what I meant to say, not a lot of people listen to my show, know that a lot of times I am silly and ranty and I talk about completely useless useless things that don't have anything to do and I go on random tangents. We understand this. But it's different when I'm going on a random tangent that has a... There's a course. It's like I set the course, and I'm like, okay, I can get there in a random way, but I'm going to get there. This was like, yeah, and the blinds have light because light 
is oppressive in our own society's wills, man. And it's George Bush that's making the light come through the chamber window of my soul, dude. And I don't feel good. But we no one feels good in this day and age when you're dealing with hate. <laughs> it was like that. It was completely, completely ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous, boss. So, yeah. <laughs> but I meant what I was saying was Nintendo has been a company that I very much support. And I know that they're going to put out games I enjoy. It, being a fanboy is liking something no matter what and liking it. I've, I've got a sneeze. So if I if I seem a little hesitant right now, it's because the sneeze is coming. But what I was saying is that it isn't... Th it isn't that I can, can't point out when they do shit. This is why I'm not a fanboy. I'm just a fan. Nintendo's fucked up the marketing. It fucked up the advertising. And not every single Nintendo game that's come out, I'm going to enjoy. But I would say they have a 9 out of 10 success rate with me. There's certain types of games I don't enjoy. Like, you know, I'm not going to get Dogs or something like that. It's just not my thing. I'd rather do that with my Pokemon and Pokemon Y. But I know, I know for a fact, I am going to enjoy a Smash Brothers game. I just know that's going to be my favorite fighting game because that's my favorite fighting game franchise. Even the worst of Smash Brothers brawl that I hold in my hand right now, I can't wait to end this show and go play this with my friend. I can't wait to get Project M loaded up. But new Mario games, I'm going to enjoy. New Zelda games are going to be some of my favorite games of every generation. I haven't quite loved to the emotional extent that I did the previous entries. I haven't quite loved the last two entries in the Zelda series, and I'm very much excited for a return to, in general, traditional controls, lack of motion controls in uh, Zelda Wii U when that comes out. I'm, I'm not that I... I didn't mind it as much in Twilight Princess, and I know you can play Twilight Princess on the GameCube with a controller. In fact, I have that here, so occasionally I can play it that way. But I just, Twilight Princess is probably my least favorite Zelda, and I like Skyward Sword. I thought, it, I thought it's underrated in a lot of ways, but I got, I couldn't play it for the same extended periods that I could play previous Zelda titles. It was, uh, I, it just made me feel kind of off like awkward. I didn't I don't feel like the, the I think that sword style works really well in Wii Sports Resort and it works really well in Nintendo Land in that Zelda game that you're playing that's very similar to to uh one of the Wii Sports Resort's sword fighting games that you play. And I I think it works in that context, but I think in a full on dungeon crawler big open world, not that Skyward Sword was that open of a world, but you know what I'm trying to say. I think in that kind of game it becomes troublesome and painful and it's not quite as enjoyable at least not for me it isn't so i i do have to say though i go into with nintendo systems a little blind because i as i said i know i'm going to enjoy the games i know there's not a chance of of me not loving the 90% of the nintendo first party titles so i kind of just go and put my dick out in the wind with that but that's not being a fanboy. That's being someone that knows that I'm going to like the games. But I understand people that maybe aren't into the same style of video games that I am that don't that are that think of it as being kind of repetitive and a little bit too childish in some ways. 
But to me, part of what I love about video games is the entertainment factor, the social aspects, but also that connection to youth. That connection to the first time I felt when I first played Super Mario Brothers 3. It maybe has me maybe makes me look at things with rose-colored glasses to a certain extent, but I don't think so. It also makes me hold a high standard. When I play a game like New Super Mario Bros. 2 for the 3DS, I'm like, eh, this is hollowed and vapid, and I'm kind of, I'm not, when I play multiplayer on the Wii U or the Wii versions of of the new Super Mario series, I think it's tacked on and lame, and I think some of the motion stuff that was added in the Wii phase was unnecessary when they put it in certain situations. Simple, simple things like a Mario Galaxy when you had to point at the screen to collect stars and stuff. Fuck, fuck that. I don't want to have to point at the screen at all. I just want to sit in my bed and play my video game. Sometimes. So, so that's that. What else do we have here? Uh, Bayonetta 2. Uh, I uh, kind of talked about that earlier, how people are screaming for Bayonetta 2 to be on other systems and uh, Platinum Games is basically like, no, fuck, fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> That's not happening. Fuck off. So on to television. <laughs> this week was the season finale of Sons of Anarchy, a show that I uh, try to enjoy. It, it's one of these shows that I've talked about a little bit before. It's It mixes greatness with some yeah, crap. It's, it's similar, I think, to The Walking Dead in that, that it's not a perfect show, but the good in it for me and the the talent and the quirkiness of Kurt Sutter's writing really gets me past some of the forced melodrama and silly, ridiculous, unrealistic situations that happen in the show. Like, just the ability of complete inept ineptitude of any law enforcement officials and and also the complete unrealistic nature of how Katie Segal is like the lord and queen of the show. But spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it yet, spoiler alert, Tara, uh, who was Jax, the main character's uh, girl, girl, wife, mother of his kids, it was a little bit of a misinformation situation where everybody, where initially uh, Jax told his mother that she was she had, she was going to rat, and it was looked like she was going to rat to the uh, to the feds. Jax, instead of killing her, decided to turn himself in for a crime he committed at the beginning of the season, and that kind of caused this law enforcement official to go all helly nilly to to bust the club, <laughs> and. And basically, it was a misinformation situation, and Jax decided to turn himself in. She, The wife was waiting at home for the cop and Jax to get there to be able to take her kids anywhere she wanted to go. And Katie Segal, uh, Peggy Bundy, Leela, showed up at the house and beat the shit out of her and eventually ended up drowning her in the sink and stabbing her graphically in the back of the head with a carving fork. Yep. <laughs> now, what was it like shooting that scene? Both Stiff and Seagal watched the season finale for the first time at the event, and Stiff admitted shortly after seeing it unfold that it was more difficult than she had to imagine. Yeah, I'm sure it was difficult. So Tara had to die badly. And, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I had a lot of shit written down about Sutter's reaction to events in the show, but I feel like I don't want to ruin all those events if you have not seen them. And I know I'm kind of, I kind of spoiled it anyway, but who cares? <laughs> 
Uh, next season will begin with a time jump, but a small one. I don't want to lose the weight of what happened, Sutter says. There may be a little bit of a time jump like we did with this season like a few weeks. So I think what they're going to do at the end of the, se- at the, end of the season, you kind of see that that Jax is stuck there with his gun. and It doesn't look like he killed them, but it's enough to probably he would have to be arrested for a weapons charge <clears throat> and been put away for a brief period of time till it all clears up, till they do ballistics tests and show that he didn't fire a gun that day or definitely didn't fire a gun at the scene and the bullets in the cop that was also killed on the scene by Juice, who Juice was... Basically told by Jax earlier in the episode that he's on the shit list and he's going to die. So he didn't really give a shit. And he just went in there and shot the cop. And instead of protecting the club and protecting what Jax would want, he helped Gemma, who's uh, Katie Segal's character, get away with the situation. And I know what I'm talking to, to those of you that don't watch Sons of Anarchy, what I'm talking about is not going to make any sense. But this is a little bit of a dip into what what the Breaking Bad podcasts were like when I talked more deep about what happened in each episode. Juice's inspiration or or fear for his own life just caused him to do whatever he wanted to do in that situation. He was just plain scared. So yeah, there we go. Now, the uh, cyborg historians of the future claim that 2013 was the year that television stopped being television. Not because it was just a form, but it suddenly became an art form. It suddenly became something more special. No, this happened a long time ago. This happened with the start of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> but And then leading into the, to the golden age, in my opinion, of HBO. Not that HBO doesn't still have quality programs, but back when, when really this started, when, when Oz came out, Deep Space Nine's my own thing, so we'll talk about other stuff. Oz... The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Deadwood. All those shows were kind of going around at the same time. The Wire. <laughs> someone someone in the background screaming, The Wire, motherfucker, you better say The Wire. And all those shows were out. And then eventually like a show come, came on, like The Shield or something like that. And it seems that till, till Breaking Bad, in a sense, did it. But I guess The Walking Dead did it in another sense, this episodic long tail stuff. So it has a lot of people journalist wise writing articles about what what show won 2013 about this. What is the the greatest inspirational show for this style of entertainment? Is it The Walking Dead or is it Breaking Bad? And they have a it's a big article about how like what wins in cultural impact, what wins in quality, what wins in ratings, what wins in everything. I mean, it's fair to fair to ask a couple of these questions that in ratings, no matter what you, John C. Riley, think about The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead is the number one rated television show right on te- the television show on TV. Number one show on television right now. So it is worth talking about. It's worth examining why that's the case. Why it is that successful? Is it this obsession with zombie culture? Is it the long tails characters? Is it the connection to the comic books, to the graphic novels? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. I think it's just a perfect storm of situations about how zombies were becoming the vampires of the 90s. But whatever, that's a different issue altogether. So quality, come on, Breaking Bad. 
cultural impact, Breaking Bad. Interesting. Because I would say that a lot of people, again, credit Breaking Bad for instigating this leaning towards these type of television programs. I don't think that's the case. I think it's funny how much cultural significance it had, but it did never got the ratings, maybe a little bit in the last season when they finally promoted the show properly, and maybe could some could say to excess a little bit. But it's interesting how that show just laid in the back behind, behind so many other shows for a while, and it had a cult audience, and it was really, again, the Netflixing of the world that caught up Breaking Bad with everything else, because if that wasn't the case, it's hard for me to imagine that show would have lasted in a different era. Maybe, again, if it was on HBO. I think that's the only possible situation. Uh, industry influence. This says The Walking Dead. And I'm not reading the reasons because I don't really care about this person's goddamn stupid rationale. <laughs> Career halo effect, whatever that means. Brian Cranston gets plum rolls. Okay, yeah, so what? So, yes, Brian Cranston... No one from The Walking Dead is going to be a huge breakout star. I mean, Norman, Re- Norman Reyes was a star beforehand or a cult star beforehand in that in that Ron Perlman sort of way because of Boondock Saints and stuff like that and a couple other things he had done. So it is... So, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he'll always get work in the horror genre and, and in crazy action movies or in crazy dramatic type stuff. But I don't think... Anybody else is going to be huge, ridiculous breakout stars from that show. I think they're going to forever be noted for that show and not necessarily looked at as some of the greatest acting they've ever seen in their life. Brian Cranston, I mean, Aaron Paul might get stuck into that a little bit. I mean, as he puts it, this is the highlight of his career. He'll never do anything that cool again. Brian Cranston, on the other hand, is in that place where Breaking Bad put him in that amazing actor category where he gets to live the next couple of years like De Niro and Pacino did in the late 90s, early 1000s, when they had already made all their best movies to a certain extent. They're just like, we can play now. <laughs> We're such great actors. It doesn't even matter. And I'm not saying that they don't put their heart into their roles. I don't think that happened, if it has happened at all, except in a couple of instances with those guys, and I think Cranston's the same way, but he a lot more opportunities will open up for him. And hopefully it won't be as bad as him in the Total Recall movie. <laughs> so finding, final result of this person's bullshit is that Breaking Bad wins 2013. Bye. <laughs> but as The Walking Dead keeps going on and keeps making money hand over fist. Now, to end things off, basically, we have a couple of, of the ridiculous... The ridiculous. We've talked about video games. We've talked about TV. Now we need to talk about the fucking ridiculous. And we all know what happened to uh, Paul Walker. He got into a car accident, which is unfortunate. Uh, I enjoyed some of his movies and some of his performances. They were, they were. Uh, they, I don't think he was the greatest actor in the world. I'm not the biggest fan of the Fast and Furious movies, but I really liked him in. Uh, what's the football? Uh, it's a Varsity Blues that he's in. Uh, and a couple other of his roles here and there. And it's always sad when somebody that's, you know, young dies in a tragic situation like this that they didn't have to die. Not, I mean, it's 
it's also sad if they get sick and they and they die. But you know, you know what I mean. Someone getting murdered, someone in a car crash or something like that. It's just to me, it's always more like, oh my god, that's just fucking bad luck in a bad situation. But Tila Tequila, yeah, I mentioned in Tila Tequila. She says, who I don't even know why she's famous. Like the only thing I really know about Tila Tequila is that she did one of those shows, one of those one of those uh, spin-off series from The Flavor of Love that The Rock I Love and then the Ray J show and then Tila Tequila had when I Love New York as well. They all had these like the same kind of show, the dating show where they bring a bunch of people to live in a mansion and compete in challenges and one of them's going to be their their romantic interest at the end of it all. And what I remember about her show being a little bit more interesting, not that I I didn't watch too many episodes of it, but in concept I remember it being interesting, is that on the show she's bisexual, so it was guys and girls competing for her affection, and it was just kind of an interesting setup. If the production values were similar to that of the VH1 shows of The Flavor of Love and The Rock of Love and I Love New York, I possibly would have watched it. But I always found when I tried – because I think it was on a different channel and they were trying to pretend it wasn't a ripoff of those shows. And the production value of her program and of the Ray J one was just fucking awful. It was just like really low quality cameras and really low quality light. And you could just tell that it was – put together with a sing- like almost like a single guy with a camera, a couple guys with cameras in a room, and then someone edit- editing it together poorly. But yeah, uh, Tila Tequila says uh, the B-list, well, that's kind of being, be- being, very, being very, gen- uh, very nice to her, calling her B-list. I would say it's more like D-list. Uh, reality star Tila Tequila knew something about Paul Walker's death and the rest of us don't know. Why does she say it was a ritualistic murder? Does Tila know something? On December 9th on her Facebook page, Tila claimed that Paul Walker's death was a ritual murder. The L.A. crooner, crooners, <laughs> oh, the L.A. crooners, we're going to take him to the coroners. The L.A. crooners declared that Paul Walker's car crash was death was an accident. But Tila knows something they don't. Well... She says it was all part of a ritualistic murder. If you want to find out more about that information, you can check that out. I don't want to even fucking talk about it. Well, there's quite a bit of evidence that she might just be fucking cuckoo in the fucking asshole. And just crazy. Now, Tequila is a Nazi. Or she she likes to put out Nazi pictures. She's having a total meltdown. On a recent Facebook post, she shared an image of herself wearing a Nazi hat and armband standing in front of a Holocaust concentration camp. In the post, which she since has removed, she describes Adolf Hitler as a special and sweet kid who was bullied and whom she felt sympathy and compassion and forgiveness for. Okay, this is where this bullying thing draws the line. I understand that people shouldn't be bullied and we have this whole culture that's hell-bent on people being nicer to each other and, and or trying to be nicer to each other when they're in person. On the internet, trolling's allowed, but... But you know what I'm saying, this like overly conscious, like protect each other's feeling things. And I kind of wish it was that case when I was in school. I got bullied a lot and teased a lot. But if I went off to a to a tower and killed people or if I, you know, ended up killing six million people or excuse me, nine million people or in creating all the the problems for for everybody that Hitler did then I don't care if I was bullied. I don't feel bad for that. Fuck that. Fuck them. It's not okay no matter what happens to you to do horrible acts like that. 
or what happens to you know like the kids any of these school shootings where these kids were abused or whatever yeah it's horrible and these and the other people that abuse them should be held somewhat accountable for especially if they're parents not their other kids that are picking on them and stuff because kids are just assholes and they do that but there's something inside the parents or something inside the the person itself that has that needs to pay more attention to protecting their own kids sanity in dealing with the situation Fortunately, I had group, groups of friends that could later in life that helped me get through those periods of time when I felt suicidal or antagonistic after the times I was bullied, when I started sort of, sort of tried to fight back with it. I got sick of people flicking me in the back of the ears and going, oh my God, you look so stupid. You're so stupid, Phil. Oh my God. And like pushing me down and me trying to hang with the quote unquote the cool kids, the alpha betas, because I liked sports. <laughs> oh God, those assholes. I still haven't forgiven them. Now they're artists and they're fucking do their horrible bullshit artwork. I hate when someone 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 that every anything someone does is art. You don't like my show, you think I'm not funny, you think I'm a piece of shit, whatever. Then don't I, I'm not going to try to, like, pretend, like, oh, what I'm doing here is some creative art. You fucking splash a bunch of sponges on the fucking, on a, on a piece of paper, and you call it, you know, art. It's not. It looks like shit. It looks like somebody punched you in the eye and what you see when you look through an eye punching. I mean, but that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to dictate an artistic work that shows what someone feels like after they've been punched. Fuck you. Now, what else do we have here? Teela warns of an upcoming apocalypse. On December of 2012, Teela warned her fans of a coming apocalypse uh, that was going to take all the, of the, out of the scum Illuminati. In January 2013, here's an excerpt from her Facebook page. As for the beautiful people on this planet, once the last wave of angel warriors come here in January 13th, you'll slowly feel a sense of freedom within yourselves and your soul will begin to go pure again. She also had a brain aneurysm. Oh, that could be causing some of this insanity. Her alter ego hacked into her Twitter account. She has energy balls and... Okay. Let's just call this what it is. She had a brief flash-in-the-pan moment where she was somewhat successful for some bullshit or not. <laughs> for some, what would she do? Is she a sex tape kid? Is she one of these sex tapers? I don't know, Phil. I don't watch that kind of filth. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do, you disgusting Scotsman. Hey, Phil. Just because I'm a Scotsman doesn't mean I'm disgusting. That's not why. I met many Scotsmen that aren't disgusting. You just happen to be. Oh, hey, Phil. You're a piece of shit dumbass. Maybe I am. Maybe I used to be. But not anymore. My eyes are open now, motherfucker. I'm here for the long haul. So last. Or wait, yeah. One of these last, I guess. The Sound of Music by Carrie Underwood. By Carrie Underwood. They did a live musical of The Sound of Music. And it's amazing to me to see all the reactions. Partially from my, partly from my theater friends. Partly from the, the Twitter internet verse. And partly from Carrie herself. Carrie Underwood herself. Now, first off, I watched it. It wasn't the best theatrical performance I've ever seen in my life. I think there were some high points. I think the kids were pretty good for the most part that they cast, minus the minus Liesl, the little girl. I thought they could have cast someone better for her. I didn't like her singing voice. 
But I think for the most part, the kids were all solid theatrical performance performers that were able to combine how difficult it must be to do a live musical for television, where it's it's how big do you make your movements? What kind of thing? Who are you projecting this for? Are you projecting it for the back of the house? Are you projecting it for the cameras? I mean, it's it's very difficult. It's something that only I think a seasoned actor could pull off flawlessly, and that's what happened with. God, I'm blanking on her name, but she's four-time Tony winner, and she played Mother Abbess in the show, and she, she was in Rising of the Sun, a lot, a lot of other things, and I, I'm just blanking on her name, and I don't want to fuck my computer up by looking it up, but she was amazing, and she showed why the show probably, and she uh, showed why the play should have been cast all with seasoned Broadway actresses, or at least people that have experience uh, singing and performing. The, in fact, the Von Trapp family came out and said that they really, really wanted Anne Hathaway to be considered for the role, who I think would have, would have possibly been very good for Maria, and I think there's possibly even other people that are less known that would have been even better for the character of Maria. So I think Carrie did decent... I, I want to address a couple things here. First off... I saw a couple of people post things like, oh, it's not fair to criticize. Don't criticize this. Don't criticize. Everyone criticizes everything. No, theater is for criticism. I know this is a one-time thing and it's not an easy thing to do, but it's also, I, I don't want this to become a, I'd love to see things like this happen more often and not be another 50 years before we see a live musical or a live theatrical performance on television. I don't want to see this just fail. And I think NBC, in a way, thought they needed to cast someone like Carrie for ratings and to bring people in just to watch it on the star's name, not on the musical itself. And I, I understand, and that's why I think someone like Anne Hathaway would have been perfect, or some star that has proven that they can act and sing. Hell, bring a freaking Glee kid on or something, you know, and uh, or something. I don't know. I'm not, I remember Bill Glee kid. Shut the fuck up. But. There are a lot of great stage talent people that can do singy, dancey stuff on on really well. Dye Lear Michelle's hair blonde and make her Maria. God damn it. <laughs> Whatever. But I think by casting... but So it's fair to criticize that because of my next point. She's not an actress. And it became painfully apparent. A lot of people... A lot of people can easily, or especially casting people, I could see them look at The Sound of Music and forget the fact that it requires some very believable acting about a, about somebody that wants to be a nun, moving into a family, falling in love, and feeling like she's in a struggle between God and, and the feeling of wanting a family, and not knowing where she fits in, and using music as something to, that lubricates everything and helps her understand who she is and what what her lot in the world should be. And I think some, in a lot of ways those are really tough emotions to play, not to mention having to be extremely musically talented and have a great, extremely great voice like, like the people that became very, very famous do, singing it before. And, and I, and I think Carrie did a decent enough job singing, and that's where she was sold on it. She's a good singer. 
but she can't act worth a shit. She's a horrible actress. I'm sorry. I'm not saying I'm the world's greatest actor. I'm not yet. I'm still working at it. But she is... She's piss poor in her performance, and I think it's an insult to the play. It's an insult to theater in general to have her be cast in that role when she's such a limited actress. And I think it's just it's bad. It's bad, 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 bad. And I'm and I'm I've been in enough theatrical productions. I've been in productions of The Sound of Music. I've seen many productions of The Sound of Music. I know that show in and out from a musical sense. I'm not comparing it to the movie. I'm comparing it to the play. And I've seen people in community theater play the part of of Maria better than she did. And it's not, I'm not being honest. I'm not hating the hate. I'm hating because it was bad and they they need to do better than that. If they do this again in another production, they need whether they do Annie or whether they do fucking Cats or whether they whatever they do, they they need to cast it right, and they did not in this situation. And I've heard a lot of people that agree with me, and most people that that are saying an opposing viewpoint don't say that she was good. They say, "Oh, you shouldn't hate on this. Stop hating. Everyone's hating everything these days." Oh, blah 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 blah. And I appreciate what you're saying because I agree with you to a certain extent. But this, you're telling me if you were in a in a theater sitting that you this you same people and I know some of you might be listening to this show. If you're telling me if you were and I've been with you, some of you, some of you, if you're sitting in a theater watching that and you saw that as a performance of the Sound of Music of a Maria, you're telling me you wouldn't think that was some of the worst hollow, one-dimensional reciting type acting that you've ever seen in your life. This side of the Disney Channel type acting. And that's not what The Sound of Music is. It's a lot more serious than that. And it's a lot more playful. And you have to have life in your eyes. And she just seemed like a scared duck. And I appreciate that because she's not a a seasoned actress. And I do appreciate the people saying she has guts for going out there and doing it. I agree with that. Because you're going to be nervous doing theater for the first time live in front of people like that. Especially on television. And as I mentioned before, this type of acting that bridges the two that bridges theatrical acting with camera acting and having to somehow figure out what your balance is there. It's really, really tough. And I'm sure she was even better in some of the rehearsals. She just seemed very, very hollow. And I would like to see her have a chance at playing. She should go to the community level, get some bit parts in in Broadway musicals because she is Carrie Underwood so she can get into musicals where she comes and just sings a song, get some stage experience, and maybe in a few years she could play a decent Maria. She definitely a couple of the times, especially with the kids, kind of triggered into it and had some real reactions. But I think she needs a lot more seasoning to be able to act in the same scene as someone as amazing as as Mother Abbess. It was just so painfully obvious seeing the two of them act. It's like one person's acting, the other person's reciting. So that leads me to, to I guess, my final issue here as the music comes in. Now, Carrie Underwood has cr- been criticizing people that are criticizing The Sound of Music, saying that anybody who is a hater, anybody who is a hater, well, I, I, I got to read the actual quote. I don't want to mess this up. Jesus takes the wheel. Carrie Underwood isn't letting the sound of music live critics get her down. The country singer has slammed mean people via Twitter on the same day the film's original star 
uh, Kim Carrot, who played uh, who played uh, Elsa in the original, bashed Underwood for her acting chops. Kraft played uh, oh Greta von Trapp, excuse me, in the 1965 musical *Sound of Music*. Plain and simple, mean people. Here it comes, mean people. Plain and simple. Colon, mean people need Jesus. That's it. Yep, mean people need Jesus. The 30-year-old Underwood wrote via Twitter on Friday, December 6th. They're, they will be in my prayers tonight. Peter, 2-1 slash 2-5. Okay, so that's how you respond to people. You fucking bring the Jesus thing into the play. You say mean people need Jesus. Give me a fucking break, Harry. Look at your own performance. Look at yourself. What you could have said is, I did my best. I really enjoyed working with the cast and crew, and I hope... And I hope hope everybody the best. Blah, 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 blah. You don't say mean people need Jesus for criticizing your lack thereof acting chops. Be humble. That just makes you come off as a dumbass, as a hoity-toity, overly religious pile of dog shit. Bam, Carrie, bam. I hate you even worse than I hated you before. God damn it. Everybody, thank you for tuning into this week's Issues program. Pre-recorded issues program, not live. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I just felt like doing it, and I, did, and I actually was expecting some guests to show up, so I didn't want to go live and then have to be interrupted, so I wanted to be able to record this in parts if I had to, but I ended up recording this all in one shot anyway. Maybe. So it does, maybe. <laughs> Except, oh, I did go downstairs to enter the doorbell. So, uh, so, so I probably could have done this live, but whatever. Sometimes pre-recorded works works just as good so everybody follow my friends at the boston bass brigade b3 crew please follow please like the couch masters on facebook or check out the couch masters website uh all my friends at the land of esh with their weekly podcast geek argo all my buddies so please check all that out keep an eye out for this year's uh a Esh Christmas Christmas uh, guide that will help you get all your best gifts gifts for this holiday season, and also uh, check out up and coming pretty soon from the Boston Bass Brigade website. There will be a uh, part two of the Christmas special that happened last year, and uh, yours truly, the issues guy, will be joining King Baby Duck and General Quackers there, and also. From uh, Couch Masters and Issues Program, John C. Riley is a part of that as well. So make sure you check that out all coming up this holiday season. Also have a cool announcement that I got cast in a uh, small part in a film that's shooting at the end of January. I don't know how that's going to affect the Issues Program. Maybe I could do some Issues Programs from out there and get some of the actors on the show. Who knows? We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'll keep you posted about that and when when and if you can, uh, when and if, when and when you can watch the movie next year when it's finally out, I'll, I'll keep you all posted of how that experience goes for me. So everyone, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you have any questions or comments, you can call in at 781-990-8509. Follow me on Twitter at I Got Issues Man and uh, find me on Facebook under the Issues Program and go to the website, read my news articles, listen to all the podcasts at issuesprogram.com. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week. 
Get ready to get your nerd on. Kick the week off right with games, gadgets, and general geekery from the ladies of the Electric Sisterhood. On Tuesdays, get your pop culture news and reviews with a pure Bostonian perspective on the Boston Bastard Brigade. Geek Agro is coming at you on Wednesdays to fill what's left of your cerebral cortex with the hottest beats to get you on your feet. Then on Thursdays, you have me, Phil the Issues Guy, presenting the live issues program. It's going down each week only in the land of Ash. Nerdcore at its finest.